0: thank you for waiting my second coming (laughs) (laughs) I preached here at nine o'clock I've been at Heatherside as I think you know and um, it was important to be there to share that sad news Um, but here we've got lots to celebrate it's the first Sunday of Advent and uh, that's the beginning of the church calendar and in my mind one of my favourite Sundays of the year but let me ask you some questions first a quick check of how your preparations are getting on. So first of all, who's got their Christmas tree up and dressed? Yeah, oh, that's quite a good number, very good. Um, All Christmas presents bought and wrapped. Okay, a few less. (laughs) Jacob, well done. I know you like to be early with things, don't you? Yeah, yeah, excellent. Okay, Uh, Christmas turkey ordered okay quite a good number there first mince pie consumed yeah just like the nine o'clock that got the biggest numbers (laughs) excellent okay but actually advent within the christian tradition isn't about any of those things now paul aguda to whom this sermon is deeply indebted uh, says it's more like this advent imagine entering a room and seeing a beautifully wrapped present on a table okay imagine that and on that present a label is attached which says this present is for you but don't open it now wait how would you feel how many of us would obey the command to wait but waiting, let's be honest, is not something many of us do easily, especially not in the Western world today. Our frustration at waiting begins at an early age, as I know full well with my children, and it's hard to outgrow. We see it in children everywhere whenever there's something available that they want, and they have to wait. They really struggle but we also see it in ourselves. I certainly do. I actually hate waiting, as my close family will confirm. And so this most definitely is a sermon for me. I am preaching to myself. An antipathy to waiting is exacerbated, if not encouraged, by the world in which we live. All around us, we encounter, don't we, the encouragement not to wait but to have what we want, now. Our credit-driven society saturates us with adverts, with the underlying message, why wait? And improvements to communication, like email, mean that people expect immediate response. They expect to reach us because of mobile phones, wherever we are, whenever. Waiting is an increasingly strange notion. We're now accustomed to immediacy in nearly every area of our lives. And so it might seem ludicrous to some that the church should have Advent at all. Four weeks dedicated to waiting, set against a culture that has exchanged waiting for Christmas for bringing it forward seemingly earlier and earlier Every year. My son sharing with me this week that he thinks every child in his class has got their Christmas tree up already. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but it shows how society is changing. Christmas being brought forward earlier and earlier. With the retail industry, let's be honest, in September, October, full of Christmas adverts even Christmas trees, certainly, early in November. But here's the crux of what I want to say to you today and the reason to listen. That actually, Advent offers us something that even in today's society, we truly, truly need and is more valuable than it's ever been. Why? Because through Advent, we can rediscover its true purpose, to anticipate Christmas. Not in starting it early, but in the sense of looking forward to it, preparing ourselves, and becoming ready. That the meaning is in the waiting, not in bringing everything forward so we don't have to wait at all. And this sort of waiting rests not in frustration, but in stillness. Not in frenzied anticipation but actually in embracing of the present if we want to fully appreciate Advent we need to relearn how to wait to rediscover the art of savoring the future of staying in the present and finding meaning in the act of waiting now to explain this think of it like pregnancy no one awaiting the birth of a baby wants the waiting to end and the baby to come early, except perhaps in the last couple of weeks. For this waiting time actually has a vital purpose, in which the unborn baby grows and develops the ability to survive outside the womb, a deep and lasting value in and in itself. And like Advent, likewise, is not about passive waiting. It's about active, internal waiting that knits together new life too, in this case, spiritual life, by learning to savour the time of waiting, which then allows us to better appreciate the event when it comes. That's what God is wanting to knit together in us in Advent. And how does that benefit us? Well, because of the loss of an ability to wait often brings with it an inability to be fully and joyfully present now. Instead, we're constantly looking backwards to better times we used to know and forwards to better times that we hope may be coming. And the more we do this, the more we miss the present. Not only that, but it actually becomes harder to appreciate the future moment when it does come is that true of you it certainly is of me i'm always finding myself thinking both back and forwards but nowhere nowhere near often enough actually just dwelling and enjoying the present it doesn't help me i was already aware of it but actually preparing this sermon has really helped me engage with that and reset my thinking on a better path I hope it might help you too. And here's a telltale sign for anyone in identifying if this is an issue for you. And that's if you recognise the feeling of deep anti-climax on Christmas Day, when that long-anticipated day does not live up to expectations. For often the reason for that is that we live forever in the future So that when the future becomes the present, we are ill-equipped to deal with it and have lost the ability to be fully present right now. But Advent helps us to hone our skills of being joyfully and fully present in this moment. After a month of doing this during Advent, Christmas Day can then gain a depth and meaning that we otherwise would miss and helps us take, and helps take us into the new year with an enhanced ability to live deeply and truly in the present moment so that we are content to linger in our lives as they are now and not be forever looking forwards and striving on to the next goal. And once we recognize this, it becomes clear that Advent is not an irrelevant cultural dinosaur but is vital for our very well-being. If we are able during Advent to relearn the skill of waiting, then it will have value not just for this time of year, but for the very whole of our lives. For it invites us to a deeper, truer encounter with ourselves, with our world, and most of all, with God. So that's my first point, the first half of, of the talk. The meaning is in the waiting. Now for the second and final section as we consider what are we waiting for. And I need to start by acknowledging that one of the oddest features of Advent for many is that we are required to wait for something that's already happened as well as something that has not. And it's this double vision of Advent where we look both backwards with expectation to the birth of Christ but also forwards to the end times that actually we find a little strange or even unnatural. I think because it's already happened in the first instance and because the second just feels for many so far away. Yet the key to being comfortable with this dual focus, with all the benefits it brings, is what I would call the biblical view of history. And one of the features that often confuses people when they read the Bible is that it appears to conflate different events into a single time. I don't know if you've noticed that. Now, this is particularly true of Old Testament prophecy. You might find in a particular passage, say in Isaiah, a prophecy of the return from exile, of the birth of the Messiah, of Jesus saving us from, and through dying and rising, and indeed of the second coming and of heaven all in the same chapter. Have a read through, particularly chapters 40 to 55, and you'll see what I mean. But the problem for us is that the modern 21st century view of history is different. It regards history as linear, like a line, which means that at one end of this line is creation, at the other end of the line is the end of the world, and we place ourselves somewhere on this line in the middle. History in this modern secular view proceeds along that line in a single direction, and we can never go back. But the Bible sees it differently, and this is the key thing for us to grasp today. In the Bible's view, salvation history is not so much linear as cyclical, it goes round and round. Let me explain it like this. Think of the Bible's record of God's interaction with the world as a snowball. There we go. A nice wintry metaphor for you. Easy to imagine in this cold weather. And imagine a snowball at the top of a snow-covered hill and then rolling it down the hill to the bottom. What happens? Well, of course, as it descends, it rolls round and round, picking up more snow As it goes, getting pretty darn big by the time it gets to the bottom. And salvation history, God's activity in the world, is a little like this. Each time he intervenes through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, and beyond, even in our time today, God's act of salvation picks up another resonance or act of expression For example, in the Old Testament story, you have creation. You have crossing the Red Sea. You've got the wilderness. You've got entering the promised land. You've got the glory of David and Solomon. You've got the return from exile. You've got the rebuilding of the temple and so on. They're all stories of God providing for and rescuing his people. Different ways, different details, but the same basic story of God's activity in the world and yet through all of those old testament stories there's also a hint of greater fulfillment in the coming of the messiah and his saving work in the new testament as well as further fulfillment in the end times to come as well so in the bible what we end up with is like this now don't just imagine one snow-covered hill But imagine four hills where you can see all of them. In the foreground, you've got the first. Behind them, you've got a second, a third, a fourth. You can see them all together. And that's a little bit like the Bible. When we read passages in the Bible, we can see these different snowballs, these different hills, these different stories of God's creation and salvation being played out again and again and again. Played out in Israel. Played out in the ministry of Jesus. Played out in the salvation that he brought us. Played out in the experiences of the early church. Played out in our lives. And one day, to be played out at the end of time, as God rescues his people finally, through judgment, leading us to that eternal kingdom in heaven. And in the Advent hymns, it's similar. That's why I chose O Come, O Come, Emmanuel for us to sing today. For this translation of an anonymous Latin hymn that goes back to the antiphon said by the monks in the 8th and 9th century, as they longed for God to come, actually doubles as a prayer for the first and second coming of christ and it does it through the language and the stories of israel we have all of those hills and mountains in view in this wonderful hymn so it takes us into the mind of old israel longing for the first coming of the messiah but also beyond that longing to voicing the yearning of the church of christ for the messiah jesus to come again and bring about that new heaven and that new earth. And we see it in the names that it gives him, that Chris quoted some of in his prayers, all taken from Scripture. For example, Emmanuel from Isaiah 7 and 8, meaning God with us. Rod of Jesse from Isaiah 11, who will free his people by death and resurrection from Satan's tyranny. The Dayspring, which is the King James Version translation of the dawn of the sun that we heard in Zechariah's song read to us. The key of David taken from Isaiah 22 who rescues us from hell locks the door behind us and unlocks the door of heaven and brings us home. And we see it in the desire of nations mentioned taken from Haggai too as he will draw the ransom from every people and make them a kingdom of peace. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's already achieved. And this is what he will complete. And so with every verse, the refrain reaches down musically into our weak hearts and pulls us up in faith to see the certainty of the end. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee. O Israel. So, why do we train ourselves to wait for something that's already happened in Advent? By retelling and retelling again what God has done. Because it trains us to recognise what God's intervention looks like. So we can recognise it in the present, in our lives, and in the future, having become so familiar with what it looked like in the past, and because we know that God intervenes in much the same way, with the same characteristics, time and time again. So that when God does act today, as he will in every one of your lives, we not only notice it, but we understand what it is. In Advent, then, we wait for something that's already happened in sure and certain knowledge that it will happen again, again, and again. Now, in our secular world, hope is a sort of vague, optimistic feeling. I hope I'll see you tomorrow. But for the biblical writers, it carries a sense of certainty, as Hebrews 6 puts it. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Let me finish and draw this together like this. We started the sermon with some things that Advent actually isn't. It's not the manic preparations. It's not bringing Christmas forward. It's not wanting everything now. But the true meaning and the true blessing of Advent is the season of waiting. It's our chance to wait and reflect in darkness and renew our hope that light will overcome that darkness, whatever form that darkness is taking for you and for our world at this time. And it's to remember a God who was at work in the past in the promise of the Messiah, and who in the future will come again to restore all things, where there will be no more crying, or mourning, or pain. It's the hush in the theatre, between the house lights going down and the curtain coming up. It's turning off the lights before you bring in the birthday cake. It's the conductor raising the baton, as the choir takes a collective breath, that precious moment of anticipation. So let's savour the moment, for the meaning is in the waiting. Let's truly enter into Advent today. Amen. Let me pray for us now. Father God, help us to wait, to stop looking back, to stop constantly thinking about the future, but to live in the present, to enjoy it, and to savor what you are doing in our lives. Might we recognise what you're doing as we celebrate what you've done in the past. And may we cling on to the certainty of what you will do in the future. Strengthen us. Give us your peace and joy as we wait on you this Advent. Amen.